the book of Exodus chapter 14, and we'll begin reading in verse 10 and read down to verse 14, and then we'll read the last verse of the chapter. Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 10, reading down to verse 14. Now, the context of this, um, you'll be able to perceive fairly quickly. God has delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. They've been in bondage for 400 years. And through many miracles that he performed for them, he delivered them using Moses as a leader to do so, him and Aaron. And after they exit um, Egypt, they are pursued by Pharaoh to the Red Sea. And that's where we pick up our reading this morning is Pharaoh's heart has been hardened. He has 600 chariots, and they're chasing the children of Israel to bring them back into captivity to the Egyptian um, nation. And so, again, Exodus 14, looking in verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh... The children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore, why hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone? that we may serve the Egyptians. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace." And then if you'll read with me the very last verse of this chapter, it says this. And Israel, or it should say, and when Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord, and believed the Lord, and his servant Moses. And then I'll conclude our reading today. It's Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14, and verse 31. Um, the title of our message this morning is The Power of an Example. The Power of an Example. Now, as I have studied this throughout the week, um, I tried to convince myself to read in a lot of other places than the text that I read today. Um, we certainly could have turned to the book of James and The Bible there talks about how faith without works is dead. It talks about being a hearer of the word, not only a hearer of the word, but a doer also. We could have turned to the great Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about acting out those things we believe and that a person who acts those things out that he has taught is like a man who has built his house upon the rock versus his house upon the sand. Um, Many different places this morning that we could have looked at and that I were tempted to Uh, But for whatever reason, I just could not get away from verse 31 of our scripture reading this week um, as I tossed these things around in my mind. 
And I want to read that verse to you in a different version uh, because that was the version I was reading it in when it really struck me and made a great impact on me. It said in verse 31 this, When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, they feared the Lord and had awful, all-filled respect, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, the thought that has been placed upon my heart is about an example. Being an example. Um, One of the great things that I struggle with in preaching is that I have only words. And so very often I feel like kind of a talking parrot up here. I get up and I open to a verse of scripture and I just talk. And certainly I'm not trying to diminish the importance of that because the scripture over and over reaffirms the importance of the proclamation of God's word and its instruction and All those things are necessary, so I don't want to diminish them. And yet, I believe that in many ways they have limited capabilities. Words do. Um, Our Scripture, our Holy Word that God has given us, tells us of some pretty amazing truths. And by studying those truths, we learn about the uniqueness of Christianity. Jesus, as well as the prophets that were sent by God, taught us some things that are are just overwhelming. Things like loving our enemies. Certainly anybody today, if I got up and I preached about loving your enemies, that's not a hard concept to understand. When Peter was in his emotion, he asked the Lord how many times he ought to forgive. And he asked the question seven times. And Jesus, of course, taught him, no, not seven times. Seven times 70. Um, Limitless forgiveness. That when a person turns and repents in a day, we're to continuously forgive them. That's a really easy concept for you to understand and for me to preach. We learn of other things in the scriptures to give generously. And this morning I could talk to you about how it's better to give than to receive. And perhaps tucked into the context of our community, that comes even more to light. Aren't you glad when we went and helped people that it was us doing the giving and not us on the receiving end? Absolutely, it's better to be the giver than it is to receive. And and God tells us through His Word that we're to give, the King James says, with simplicity. There's an aspect of that I like that translation, but there's an aspect of it that we lose in our modern language today because it's saying without great hesitation, generously without great hesitation. So you see a need, and you just meet it. You give. Jesus taught us other things in his word about surrendering everything to him. That we ought to daily take up the cross of self-denial 
and walk. The book of Galatians teaches us that we are to bear one another's, it says in the King James, burdens. But it's not talking about a difficulty that you might have and that I pray for you. What it's talking about is your faults. And it's saying that if you're caught in a sin and you have prominent faults, that as your brother, I'm to bear those. I'm to be forbearing with your flaws. And then it says in verse, or the second half of that verse, and by doing that, we so fulfill the law of Christ. That by me forbearing and you forbearing my flaws, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. And this morning I could get up and I could talk about all those things. And you may agree. I would guess you would because it's nothing controversial about these things in the scriptures. Going to the highways and the hedges and compelling them to come in. We could have a missionary come, and we may here in a few months, Brother Monty Shoulders is perhaps going to come and give us a report about the work in Belize, and some of the things he might say would be stirring to our hearts. And he might take a scripture that teaches us the Great Commission and, and says we need to go to the othermost parts of the world and reach people, and we could read all the Acts of the Apostles and try to explain and try to teach and try to establish the importance of it. And yet, all of those things have their limitations. And what I've learned, and I've almost been a preacher for half of my life now, and what I've learned is that words have limitations. And at times, proportionately, there is a lot of talking. And yet those things are limited in their capacity in comparison to witnessing the living out of those principles. I remember the first time that I felt the power of forgiveness. It was reading about Corey Tenboon, that woman who was drug into Ravensbrook concentration camp during World War II, had one of her sisters killed. Years later, as she was doing ministry, she saw one of the guardsmen that worked at Ravensbrook that was one of the harshest and meanest men in the place. He was there at service to listen to her teach. He came up to her afterward and he said that he had found forgiveness in Christ, but that he needed to find forgiveness from one of his victims. And he asked her for forgiveness. And I remember as she was telling this story, forgiveness came in a whole new way to me. I remember another time when I witnessed with my own two eyes somebody who had been terribly wronged, and I was very acquainted with the wrong that had been done. And that wrong had wreaked havoc in this person's families that, frankly, is still, the effects of it are still felt. And I watched this person quietly go to that person that had wronged them decades later. 
put their arm around him and say, you know I love you, don't you? Suddenly, forgiveness was different. Because I saw the victim. I saw the perpetrator. I I, I knew the pain. And when I had heard the pain discussed, I had felt it before. I saw in the eyes of a father and in the eyes of a mother the, the agony that was caused by this person's sin. I saw the effects. I heard the prayers that was prayed for reconciliation and for restoration and for and then I saw this outpouring of forgiveness and it, it, it was more than just a concept behind a pulpit. It was more than a story in a book. It was life. I've heard of evangelism and I've preached it. And then I've also been around a person who at one in the morning in a gas station, got a bird to go talk to a police officer. And I went to him weeping, asking him of the condition of his soul. And evangelism was different at that moment. It wasn't hypothetical. It wasn't us sitting back in Bible study and talking of all the things we ought to do and that we should do and good ideas to keep in mind. And it wasn't all those things. My faith is always challenged when I get to know people. And your faith towards me is probably getting challenged. Because it's been a year that I've been here and you're starting to see mistakes, personality conflicts, the flaws. When we get close to people, that is easy then to to separate from them and to tear them down. And then we look to the scriptures and we are challenged because what God teaches us to do is love them anyway. You see, there's a tendency in us to idolize people we don't know. Magnify their the good about them because we don't see the bad of them. That's why I'm not a great fan of, of famous preachers, either historically or modern day. And the reason is because all we see of them is their good qualities. But when you really get to know somebody, then you begin to see the the errors in their judgment, the biases in their opinions. And that makes you much more able to rightly discern the truth that comes from their lips. You see... What these people did, there was a period of time where they were lamenting their situation. They found themselves in this difficult place where they were doubting God. They were doubting his leadership despite having experienced some pretty extraordinary things. And what we find throughout this whole Old Testament into the New Testament is that God knows about the fallen human nature That our experience speaks more deeply to us than any any amount of truth speaking. 
It is sufficient. It ought to be sufficient for us for God to just say, here's the truth, do it. And yet what he knows about fallen creatures is that those often are insufficient grounds for our faith to be activated. Or in other words, we might from a distance believe, but will that belief translate into action if we don't in some capacity experience the reality of those truths? Feel, see, hear, come to know personally those things. An example comes to my mind of my own experience when I was about 17, 16, I think I was 16 years old, and um, my whole life, one of the things that I was taught from a very early age was the power of prayer. Like in my home, you know, every home has things that they perhaps in God's word value and accentuate more than others. They emphasize more than others. And one of the things that was emphasized very highly in my home is that Prayer is a very powerful thing. And so very often things would be cited throughout the scriptures in my home. Uh, Daniel's prayer or Jesus' prayer or very many things. And certainly I believe all those things. Um, I can remember just as a, as a kid. Um, her name's escaping me at the moment. But um, the, the blind lady from Old Union, Aunt Bide Russell, I think was her name. And one of the things that I was taught even as a kid was she held a place of respect in my home because she prayed. She was a woman known to pray. And all of those things I would have assented my belief to until the first time that I I really, as a Christian, prayed. You know what I mean? Like, really became overcome in the spirit of prayer. Where you lose sight of the world. I was 16 years old the first time that ever happened. I was with a group of my friends out in Missouri at a youth weekend. And there was a young lady who had been confused about her salvation for many years. And we had ended this long weekend where it was a very spiritual youth weekend. And she still was confused about her state with the Lord. And so we all got in this gazebo and we helped, began by just holding hands in a circle and began to pray. And as the prayer went around the circle, people's hearts became more full and the Holy Spirit began to really, um, the only way I know how to put it is anoint people to pray and enable people to pray and to call out to God more than just the cursory normal prayers. And by the time we knew it, people weren't holding hands, standing up, praying, but Everyone had fallen to the floor and people were calling out to God. And for two hours, there a bunch of teenagers in gazebo were down praying and I just lost myself. And I can remember at one point in that prayer for the first time in my life, feeling like if I opened my eyes, I would see God and die. That's how real he was to me. And as I have left there and I have reflected upon that experience, one thing that I take away from that experience is that I came into my young adulthood and was 
tempted by things or was encouraged to pursue other paths, there was one thing that I could never let go of, of God's reality and the experiences that I could have following after God. And that was that one night in the gazebo where I knew beyond any doubt that the creator of the universe visited me and visited those people in a way that I had never experienced and no other experience would ever come close to what I felt that moment. What I knew that moment, the values and priorities that God emphasized in my heart in that one moment, all the preaching, all of the teaching, all of the Bible reading, all of the faithful devotionals in the morning, all of those things could not replace the Holy Spirit manifesting himself to my person at a specific time and place. The experience of it. I would say today, why do lost people struggle to get saved? Why do we see people come to the mourner's bench very often? I think in part because they don't see a lot of people get saved. Would it not be a great encouragement to people's faith if people were descending to the altar like they did in former days and within moments popping up and saying, God, save me. Would it not encourage you to believe that, yes, God can truly save versus the constant repetitious testimony saying, just keep going. God does save. God does save. God does save. And yet them never seeing and experiencing the revelation of God to their friends and to those they sit in Sunday school classes with or towards their classmates in school. One of the wonderful things when you go to Africa, I believe, is that when you start Start seeing many people get saved. It gives people the confidence that yes, God is hearing our prayers. Yes, God doesn't visit those who have humble hearts and broken spirits. And if I'll continue to pursue him this way, I have no doubt God will save me. It's the experience of it. Hearing and seeing. These people, they murmured against Moses. He didn't believe his leadership. They said, Moses, why did you? We were happy serving the Egyptians. Now, that just frustrates me to even say that out loud, to be honest with you. God has delivered you from bondage. You're free. And just because you get in a difficult place where you're being attacked... You, you doubt. And yet I find that to be such an incredible parallel to today. Because, listen, this morning, it is, it is incredibly easy to project a faith with our lips and in our minds. And you won't meet resistance. And the enemy doesn't attack. How many years do you think these people dreamt of freedom? And they thought of all the good that they could do and all the, all the way they would live their life and all of these things. But then when they got their freedom and they realized that with freedom comes a responsibility, comes the necessity to defend yourself, comes the necessity to follow after God who delivered you, suddenly they didn't want freedom. I want to read something to you this morning. I was going to wait to the end, but I feel the inclination to read it to you now. It encompasses much of what I want to say today, and maybe I can just read this and be quiet. Bear with me for a moment, and 
says this, The great principles of Christ are not just meant to be held dear in church covenants and statements of faith. They're not to be relegated to bold proclamations on Sunday morning or merely read from dusty books written long ago. No, these truths are meant to be taken to a far higher and considerably different place than just the minds of men. They are meant to be lived. They are meant to be lived for the world to see. Among many things, what distinguished that seer from Nazareth from every other philosopher and teacher was that he lived the great things he spoke. He embodied that law written at Sinai and showed that there is a more excellent way. The uniqueness of Christianity is seen when its teachings are revealed. But please hear this. But its power is felt when those things revealed are incarnate in the life of a believer. The question is not, do you believe in forgiveness? For certainly you do. But rather the question is, who has wronged you and when did you forgive them? The question is not, do you believe in mission work? For certainly you do. But rather the question is, when was the last time you spoke to someone about the condition of their soul? Satan is crafty. He helps believers create a world of if-then obedience. If a situation or person meets all of my conditions, then I will exercise my faith. This world of hypotheticals allows the believer to be bold as a lion in their mind's eye, while in reality, utterly disobedient. When we talk of our faith within our community of believers, we are likely to be greeted with agreement and sincere appreciation for our unique point of view. We're unlikely to ruffle any feathers or cause much offense to anyone. But when we live out our faith, we reveal the world of hearers only and thus invite skepticism, the questioning of our motives, and run the risk of our failures becoming a proverb to every do-nothing Christian looking for a reason to remain passive while the enemy advances. When we risk living our faith, we may indeed fail. We might stumble and the enemy or perhaps even our friends may wound us. But what cannot be said of us is that we believed great things but did nothing. That we proclaim a great God, but that he has no power. People will not believe in our God because we hearken the gospel a little louder or pass laws forcing homage be paid to the Christian God. Rather, they will believe when they see his greatness. When they say, look here, Or look there, and they see deliverance from sin, freedom from addiction, forgiveness and restoration, the loving of enemies, the forbearance of one another's shortcomings, the aiding of the poor, the giving generously to those in need, and the humble servant of the Most High God waking up every morning and faithfully carrying that rugged cross of self-denial up Calvary's Hill. The standard we... We preach can never be reached, and for that reason, some may wrongfully label us hypocrites. But may we never find ourselves deserving of the title because we preach this great gospel, but don't ever attempt to reach it. May the Lord grant his people the mind of Christ that we may believe those things he revealed, but more so the courage of Christ to live out those things that we believe. Doing. Doing the gospel. This morning there are three things I want to touch on very briefly that 
happen whenever we live out the gospel. Three things that I think we all want. The first one is it's an example to our children. I would say this morning that I am probably one of the things that causes me the most sleeplessness in my life are the future welfare of my children. I'm sure you're no different. I often think of perhaps some attitudes that they're showing, behavior patterns that they're falling into, and I worry. And I wonder, what what can I do differently to try to help them on this path of life that when they get to that age, and I was thinking this week, Jetson and I were talking, and he's going to be nine here before too long, and the first thought that crossed my mind is halfway. He's halfway there. And whether he moves out at 18 or not, I don't know, but that's certainly what crossed my mind is, man, he's, he's already halfway there. When he hits 18, like some of your children have already been there or some of your children are just getting there. And um, Will their faith be alive in them? Will it be vibrant? Will it be something they possess and actively live out? And if you're like me, very often what my thought goes to is, am I teaching them this? Am I teaching them that? And I'm inundated, you know, with the homeschool stuff that a lot of it's hard because there's so much stuff to choose from. Or when I look to God's word and I consider teaching my boys different lessons about the scriptures, I think, man, there's so many things that they need to know. There's so many things that I could teach them and it's overwhelming all of the things that they can be taught. And I don't want to uh, discount the importance of carefully instructing our children person to person, sitting down and, and, and teaching them those things. Yet I believe that nothing is a greater teacher than seeing the principles that we're trying to impress upon our children when they see them unintentionally lived out before their very eyes. When they see forgiveness instead of gossip. When they see Generosity instead of fear. When they see an allocation of time that could be used upon self, given freely, unbegrudgingly. When they see those things. See, one of the amazing things that I didn't realize as a kid, and I didn't realize even as an early parent that I'm getting more and more to recognize is that, like you, kids have memories. And although in the moment they struggle to interpret things accurately, it's amazing how when you grow up and you look back, your opinion of people's decisions and lifestyles and attitudes are wholly different than what they were when you lived there. I'll give you an example. You could have a family member today that just spoils to death your children with gifts, but is absent, Right? And so somebody could have a parent, perhaps there's a divorce that has taken place and one parent just spoils them with all these gifts. But when it comes to the grueling daily work of getting in the trenches and being a parent, they're absent. And maybe as a child, they really appreciate all those gifts and that's their favorite parent. But then you get older and you look back and you say, well, hold on. Things aren't the way that I thought they were. Now I appreciate that person who every morning got up 
and cooked me breakfast and laid out my clothes and did my laundry and made me do my homework. Right? The action of it. Those things are what matter. You see, all through the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, what do we find? Even in this case, we find that when they got out of Egypt, God said, I want you to go and and we're going to build monuments to these places. Or you remember during the Passover, rather in Exodus chapter 12, that God said, you're going to do this as a token forever so that when your children ask what this means, you can tell them of what God did for you. If you remember whenever Joshua, in Joshua chapter 3 and 4, whenever he was going to become the leader of God's people and they were crossing over into the promised land, that God, after they got there, said, I want you to put 12 monuments here so that when your children ask you, what are these 12 stones doing here? You can testify to them of the experience you had crossing over the Jordan River on dry ground where many of them were carried his babes across that river and then God brought deliverance to all those people. You remember Ebenezer? God said, I want you to set up this big stone. I want you to remember this. And when your children ask, you see all through the scriptures, one of the things that God desires for children to do is ask their parents about the experience that they had, that that experience might be a teaching moment that could be impressed upon their children's heart. One of the things that I don't like about school today is that teachers are not a part of kids' lives. I experienced it for 10 years. I got up every day, and for 40 minutes, I wagged my finger and said, no this, no this, no this, no this. But my life was not invested in the students. And because of that, there was always this veil of separation between us. There was this inability for me, because they didn't know if I cared about them or not. Am I just putting on a Uh, Am I just putting on a look? Am I just putting on a role? Or do I really care about them? Being a part of their lives and, and seeing and doing things for them and them seeing the flaws that I have and them seeing my family, all of those things drive people closer and then allow for the example to make the impression upon a kid, not just the words. The example builds the trust so that the words can then have their effect. Example, you want your son to turn out to be a good husband? Be a good husband. You want your husband or your son to respect their wife and esteem her? Do that to your wife. Wives, you want your daughter to speak with respect and not like our our culture teaches today, down to men? Speak to your husband with respect. Give him a place of respect and honor in your home. And guess what? Your young men will go look for young ladies that do that. And your young ladies will do that. The example of it. Jesus, what makes him, one of the things that makes him head and shoulders above any other prophet is that he lived out those things which he spoke. People could see him condescend the men of low estate, not just say, go find the poor, go find the needy, go find the sick. He didn't just preach it, he did it, and then he preached it. And it had its impact and power on those apostles after Jesus' resurrection and ascension because they saw, they handled the word of life, they saw that the glory of God dwelt among them and it had their impact on them. Our children need our example They need to see because there's power in an example. 
Sometimes the best thing to do is close the mouth and live it. And that's what children will emulate. Another thing it does, our living it, it emboldens people to live that way, other people to live that way. My mind went to the book of Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, where Paul remarks about how he'd been cast into prison. But he, he comforts the Philippian church and he says, but don't worry, all of these have happened for the furtherance of the gospel because through my bonds, through my imprisonment, it has emboldened the faith of the brethren to proclaim the truth. And that is the case. When one person follows the radical teachings of Christ, the, I won't say radical, I'll say deeper teachings of Christ, not just be a good boy and don't be a bad boy, not just don't curse, not just don't lie, but I mean the radical deep teachings of Jesus Christ. When one person does it, they can be ostracized and stigmatized and God, but that person can also, through their example, embolden and inspire other people to live that way. And when one person does, and then two or three or four, suddenly those people become an inspiration to the world that there is a higher way that God has called us to live, a more excellent way, as Paul said, that is one not governed by self-interest and self-preservation, but rather a radical love of putting God and other people before ourselves. One of the great things about living out your faith is it encourages other people to do it. I believe today people are afraid to live the way Christ taught them to. I really do. I think people are afraid. I think people will live in accordance with the the shallow surface teachings of be good. But when you plunge deeper into the person of who Christ was, And you emulate it, what you find is it's met by a lot of opposition within yourself. Or in other words, it's just plain hard. Teaching your children things like self-denial. Give up things just because. Because it's not right to overindulge. Because it's not right to find satisfaction, complete satisfaction with worldly things rather than spiritual things. And so it's good for a person to learn the exercise of self-denial and to teach their children self-denial to do without. Here it emboldens, it inspires people when you do it. And you shamelessly encourage others to do it and encourage it. The last thing it does is it, it glorifies God because it obeys Him actually and not... Um, How do I want to say it? It just actually obeys the Lord. It glorifies God. When we live out our faith, do you realize that all these things are meant to be lived? You know, there's a, there's a contingency of America today that really scares me because it is an intellectual, it, everything is intellectual. Everything about the Christian movement becomes, um, to use a bunch of big words, exegeted or Everything's studied and broken down and it's as if you can't unravel the truth of the scriptures unless you know Hebrew and Greek and unless you go back to the con, all those things and people will 
almost convolute the truth of the gospel by making it more complex and by digging deeper and trying to express to people, well, you don't really know the truth until you dig all these things. But listen to me this morning. The greatest truths of the scripture are not those things which are just understood, but rather those things that are experienced in real life. Those things that are felt and known to be true, a peace, as the Bible says, salvation is one of those things that you can't grasp the fullness of what God has done until you experience what God has done, no matter how much that you understand or think that you understand what God has done. I would say the same about right, living in a righteous way or knowing God personally that until you really speak with him and he speaks back, Let me ask my Christian friends that. When was the last time God spoke back to you in prayer? Have you ever felt when you were praying a presence around you? I mean a presence. Have you ever been called to the throne of grace? Beckoned before that place where the angels are crying out around God's throne, His holiness? Have you ever trembled like those prophets of old did? When they came into the sanctuary of God and they felt his overriding power. We could talk all day of prayer. But you learn more. One second. One moment. At the throne of grace. Than what you would a thousand years studying it. Here. Here. I want to begin to close saying this. It's hard living out your faith. There are difficulties that you'll meet living out your faith. Moses experienced one of these, didn't he? He's with God's people, the children of Israel. You know, that's what we find. One of the things that I concluded after reading the scriptures is that the greatest enemies we face are not the opposition. It's within us at times. To me, I've always seen David's greatest enemy as Eliab that day, not Goliath. Eliab was his, only, his, own, his oldest brother, questioning his motives. Do you know what paralyzes Christians more than anything, I think, at times? The fear of being judged by other people or their motives being questioned. I would go do this thing that I know this person needs, but then this person will think I did it for this reason. Or maybe other people will think this and this and this and this. And so the motives get questioned and people become paralyzed. And so they become doers of great deeds in their minds, but never actors of great deeds. All the people really wanted the same thing, but people were afraid to demonstrate the qualities that Christ tells us to, to the extreme that they were needed. Or in other words, like humility. If I have an audit against Brother Danny, and I come to Brother Danny and say, Brother Danny, I've done you wrong. I don't care if he apologizes for the wrong he's done me. I don't need a reaction from him. I don't need him to reciprocate. What I know that I have to do is I have to come to him because the Bible commands me to and say, I've wronged you and I should have never done this. And beyond the wrong that you have seen, I've even wronged you in other ways in my heart. 
I have had a grudge against you for many years. And I have thought things about you that I ought not to have thought. And I am pleading with you this morning. Will you forgive me? Going to any lengths possible to live out those truths. To do those things which need to be done. There's a few times where I've witnessed things very similar to that. Say, what does repentance look like? What are the fruits, as Jesus said, what are the fruits of genuine repentance? My answer to you is, I don't know. I don't know what they are. But what I can tell you is this. I know them when I see them. Because some of the wrong that had been done had so affected generations and generations of people that I can tell you this. Had the perpetrators come before the church weeping, falling upon their knees saying, I don't deserve your forgiveness. If you would please forgive me, I would so appreciate it. But if you don't, I completely understand. If that had been demonstrated, I could look and say, you know what? That looks like repentance for the gravity of what was done. Look at the sincerity in the same way that I can't tell a lost person. This is the steps you need to take to be saved. These are the actions. These are the words. Genuine repentance is something that is discernible by the Spirit of God in the heart of us that are witnessing the fruits of repentance it's something that is felt and known not checklist this morning what i'm trying to talk about is the power of an example what our children need what the world needs and what each other needs is for all of us to live out those things we so desperately hold dear when people see love and compassion beyond words When people see generosity beyond words, when people see your time being given selflessly beyond words, when your children see within the confines of the home godliness that is unusual to their natural temperament and to yours. This morning, examples have power. In this scripture text, here's what it said. The Israelites, they believed when they saw the example. When they felt it, when they knew it. My challenge to you this morning, live it out. It's a dangerous place to live it out. To go and live as a Christian Really. And it puts you on this pedestal where people can easily tear you down. Question your motives. But we must always commit ourselves to God's judgment. You know, saying, Lord, and I, I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know why over the past few months it's just, it just seems like time here is so short. I don't know what it is. I've just had this, this thought, and it's just time here on this earth just feels so short to me. Like, I, 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 this is not in any way meant to be prophetic. I just feel like it's almost over, you know? Like, it just feels like, man, I just can't get over how brief it is. And yet, that's laughable to you that are older than me. Yet God wants us to live the example out. I pray that he would help us to be doers 
and not hearers only. I pray that God would inspire you. And that he would allow... He would allow examples to preach much louder than my words ever can. He would send us examples. He would raise up examples of people. That's my message this morning. I pray that God would use it a lot in your heart the way he did mine, but not the way it came out.